listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. Um, Today is the beginning of a very special time of year, Advent. Advent is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It's when we take time to remember the centuries and centuries of Israel's people waiting for the promised Messiah, the one who was born in Bethlehem in a manger, who died on a Roman cross, uh, who rose from the grave and defeated death. And it's when we also look to Messiah's coming again, to when he will return to be with his people forever and to reconcile all things to himself. So this Advent, we want to invite you on a special Advent journey that we are embarking on together as a church. You know, one of the things we've been thinking about as a staff is how can we be together as a church when we can't be together physically? Well, we realized we can do something together that connects us in a shared experience, even if we're doing it in our own spaces and in our own time frames. Um, And so that's what this Advent journey is all about. We're calling it the in-breaking. And every Sunday, or each Sunday of Advent, in addition to the sermon, there will be an audio component that will be made available for you to listen to. And that will be simply a contemplative reading and reflection on the same passage preached on that morning. Um, An opportunity for you to really slow down a little bit more with that passage and really listen to what the Spirit might want to be impressing on your heart through it. Um, then as the week unfolds, we'll be digging a little deeper into that same passage using an Advent devotional that we will be uh, making available. And each day we'll focus on a particular verse in that passage with a simple question for you to be thinking about regarding that verse and a simple practice, something that can help you to lean into Advent throughout your day. And then also I'll be hosting two Zoom gatherings for people who want to just debrief their experiences, share notes about the journey together. Um, It's really easy to participate in this. If you're on our email list, uh, you'll automatically receive a special email each Sunday of Advent with that week's installment of the devotional and the audio. Uh, and if you're receiving, if you're not receiving our email announcements, that would be a great reason, I think, to sign up. Um, but you can also access all of this content on our website on a special page that we're devoting to the inbreaking. So today, as we begin our Advent journey together, I want to ask you the question simply: What is getting you through? What is getting you through the season of isolation, of disappointments, perhaps? Uh, for many of us, for disrupted holiday plans. Perhaps for you, this has also been a season of anxiety or fear. Uh, Perhaps it has been a season of personal loss. I know for some people it has very much been. Uh, Perhaps it's been a season of bad news. I was listening to the the radio in the car a few weeks ago. Um, Obama was being interviewed on NPR about his new memoir. Uh, Michelle Martin was asking him, in light of all the problems in our world, how he manages not to be a pessimist. And here's what he said, I quote, I think the reason that I don't plunge into despair probably has to do with the fact that I tend to take a long view on things. I tend to take a long view on things, he said. I've been sitting with that for a while. 
I've been thinking about how as Christians, you know, we have more reason to take the long view on things than anyone else because we know the end of the story. We know where the road is leading, no matter how bumpy the ride gets. You know, it turns out that taking the long view on things is actually quite biblical. Um, in his letter to the Romans, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you look at uh, the first letter of Peter, you'll see that he takes the long view. And of course, John, who suffered in exile on the, on the island of Patmos, very much takes the long view, and we see it in the book of Revelations, especially where he creates really the most detailed picture of the new heavens and new earth that we have. But what about us? Do we allow ourselves to see that far ahead, to let the promise of the new heavens and the new earth soak into our bones and fill us with a sustaining joy? Today we're going to be reading... Um, classic Advent passage in the book of Isaiah, written about 700 years before Christ. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7. And my hope for us as we work through this passage is to simply be developing our biblical long view. I hope that this passage can give us a few handles for that long view, because maybe we have a long view, but it's really pretty fuzzy. We just need to bring it into focus a little bit more, so that we can know something of the hope that we wait for. So let's start with Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Let's stop there before we go any further. I just want to situate this passage here. When Isaiah wrote this passage, Israel had recently been invaded by its northern neighbor, Assyria. And the regions of Naphtali and Zebulon, they were the first casualties of this invasion. They were the hardest hit because they're on the northern border of Israel. They're adjacent to Assyria. But Isaiah has a vision for this region, this very plundered region. It's a vision of hope. Now notice when Isaiah shares this vision of hope, he speaks in the past tense, even though he's talking about the future. Isn't that strange? Well, he's actually using a tense that we call the prophetic past. He's speaking of things that are so certain to come that he's speaking of them as if they've already happened. He says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. And sure enough, 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, something absolutely world-changing happened in the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, a part of Israel, by the way, that is also happens uh, to be known as Galilee. Here's where the Messiah was born. Here is, in this plundered, oppressed, little esteemed region, there was an inbreaking of heaven. God's kingdom on earth was inaugurated. So let's look at three handles that this passage can give us when it comes to developing a, a biblical long view. Verses three through four. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice 
at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, if anyone knew oppression, it was the Israelites of Naphtali and Zebulon because their land wasn't just invaded and plundered. They were actually taken as prisoners of war and marched off to Assyria where they lived in exile. But here in this passage, Isaiah paints a powerful image of vindication. He prophesies of a day when the heavy hand of the enemy will be lifted and the very tools of oppression will be shattered. The authority of the oppressor will be utterly broken. He paints a picture of a day of great rejoicing. Now, if you think about it, this is actually a picture of judgment. And one thing I have been thinking a lot about lately, actually, is the fact that as counterintuitive as it may at first sound, judgment is actually good news. Judgment is good news because when God judges the world, the rod of the oppressor, will be snapped in two. And those who stand under that rod, who've suffered from the brunt of that rod, will be released from it forever, and they'll be forever vindicated. And great will be the celebration of their freedom. Now, I know that there are people listening right now who've had some very real, perhaps even searing experiences of injustice your lives. Um, I know some of you have fears for your children growing up in an inequitable world. I grieve that in this nation there are people who are more likely to get sick and die of the coronavirus simply because of the color of their skin. Not because of biological factors, but because of a slew of sociological factors. I grieve that because of the way our economy works, some people are free to work from home during the pandemic and stay safe, while others simply don't have that option. I grieve that for many people, the world isn't as safe or as hospitable as it is for others, perhaps the people living next door. And because of that, they have to bear the burden of fear, perhaps of anger. Here's God's promise, though, through Isaiah. He says there is a coming judgment when the yoke will be shattered and the oppressed will be set free. I want to invite you to take a moment just to picture, to picture that world with me. A, a world in which no one, no one is taken advantage of or overlooked. A world in which policy and institutions serve everyone's interest, not just some people's interest. Can you picture a world in which those who have historically suffered injustice will no longer be the last. They'll be the first. Who are those people, by the way, who've always been the last in this world? Is there someone that you can think of? Maybe someone in your life who's just always been given the short end of the stick over and over and over and over again. Can you take a moment just to picture that person being escorted to the front of the line at the banquet hall at the end of time? I want to invite you to picture something else with me as we move on to verse 5. I want to invite us to imagine a world in which the danger of violence and war is forever eradicated. Verse 5 reads, Every warrior's boot used in battle 
and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Well, what, what is that a picture of? In the ancient Near East, when a battle was fought, the victors would gather the bloody garments on the field and all the armor of the dead, and they would heap it up in a big pile and light it on fire as a sacrifice to their gods. This was a way for them to thank their gods for the victory that they had won. You know, the Israelites actually did this as well. They would heap up the armor and the garments of the dead on the battlefield and set it ablaze in honor of Yahweh, thanking him for the victory. So Isaiah here is actually painting a picture of a military victory. But it's more than just any old military victory that he's painting a picture of. This is the picture, a picture of a final and all victory, God's victory, when all armor, all weapons, all tools of war will be forever burned to ashes, ashes that will blow away in the wind like dust. Earlier in the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah says, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You know, I think we would do well to ask God to give us a vision of this world to come. A world in which weapons simply no longer exist. They've been turned to dust. A world where militaries no longer train for war. A world where gang violence, hate violence, domestic violence, every form of violence will have been made extinct. You know, this week, we're probably all going to be fed a diet of violence. All we have to do is turn on the television, watch a film, open a magazine, listen to the news, scroll on social media. You know, all you have to do is open up the Bible and you're going to encounter violence. But here's what I really want to say. Violence is a temporary reality. Violence is only a temporary reality. It is not an eternal reality. What would it be like for us to steep ourselves, our minds and our imaginations in the eternal reality, to feast, as it were, on a diet of peace? What would it look like for us to feast on the stories of Jesus loving his enemies, on the poetry of Isaiah prophesying that one day the wolf will lie down with the lamb, or perhaps on the closing chapters of Revelation where we read about the new heavens and the earth, the tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. Well, let's look at a third handle here for a biblical long view, a third Advent promise, verses six through seven. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So how will all of this happen? The, the end of armaments and, uh, and war and violence and injustice, the shattering of the yoke, how will all of that happen? Well, Isaiah tells us, he says, it will happen through a child. A child will be born. A child indeed has been born. 
a child born in a manger to a virgin named Mary in a town called Bethlehem. You see, God has a plan for the redemption of all things. And there is one to whom has been given the power and the authority to effect that redemption. And his name is Jesus. And he came to us as one of us to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth, to set us free from our sin, to give us a place of eternal belonging in his family. So I want to invite us to picture one more thing today. I want to invite us to picture a world in which Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigns. A world in which the head of state not only rules, but is one who washes his servants' feet. A world where there's no exploitation of political power. Political power never hurts people in this world. It always and only serves, builds up, operates in truth and in integrity and in love. This is a world in which compassion and humility are modeled excellently by leaders of all ranks. It's a world in which authority does not wield a sword, but exists to protect. It's a world where the highest power in the land is no dictator, but a father-hearted counselor who is tender toward his people, treating each one as his own child. Here is a world in which all people can truly and finally flourish because they're forever safe to flourish. They're forever safe to flourish and to become who they are meant to be. You know, it takes courage to spend time imagining this world to come, to set the eyes of our hearts on this world. It takes faith. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's this little cynic in my head. <laughs> and as I've been preparing this message, the cynic has been asking me some kind of tough questions like, well, isn't focusing on on how everything's going to be made right in the future is not just simply a form of escapism. Well, what about the here and now? What about being present? What about attending to the very real needs of people here in this world now, today? My answer is, cultivating a long view, focusing on the world to come, is not escapism. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's just the opposite of escapism because it seeks the larger and enduring reality. It seeks the reality with a capital R. And when we get a taste of that larger reality, here's what it does for us. I think it frees us from despair. It unparalyzes us from apathy and fear. It empowers us to live more fully in the present. It motivates us to share the hope that we have, to proclaim the person behind our hope, Jesus. Suddenly, we find that we have a new energy to love, a new reason to work for justice, a new uh, sense of redemptive creativity. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, he says, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you've read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most.
first of the next. I love that. The Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. And you know, Jesus took the long view. He took a long view and it empowered him to be able to do the otherwise impossible. Scripture says he endured the cross and its shame. He, he embraced it voluntarily because of the joy set before him. He had a picture of that joy. He had tasted that joy. That joy was on his mind. So this Advent, this very unusual Advent, I want to invite us to take a long view, to imagine the world that is our inheritance when Christ returns and makes all things right, and to live into that inheritance, to live into that reality with a capital R, that reality that the rod of the oppressor will one day be shattered. In essence, it has been shattered when the armaments of war will one day be turned to ash, when a child on whose shoulders rests the government, a child whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, will indeed lead us into our promised inheritance, shalom, an eternal, flourishing, and indestructible peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, may you grant each one of us a nourishing, biblical, long view that will secure our hope more firmly, that will ward off despair and apathy, that will carry us through this very real uh, pain that we're experiencing in these days of pandemic. By that long view, Lord, may we not only get by, but may we flourish. May we flourish in the here and now. Maybe we be agents of flourishing in our world, helping others to know that they're loved, giving them a taste of the world to come. Help us to be using our skills and resources to serve the purposes of justice and love, to do so in the name of the one whose in-breaking kingdom our actions proclaim. May we be like the people C.S. Lewis spoke of, Lord who, because their eyes were on heaven, were able to do great things on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 